Well, good morning. My name is Dave Heinrichs, and welcome here, or if you're online, thanks for joining us. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And you know, as you're doing that, I was just thinking how much I enjoy when we take communion at the beginning of the service. I love doing it with our kids in the service, having my boys beside me. But I also love the fact that after we take it, for me, the the taste of the cup, it lingers on my mouth. And it's just this reminder to me that how God's love lingers upon us and how he is just so kind to us. And what a wonderful thing that is to be able to do together as the church family. And what a wonderful gift it was for him to give us uh, this, this sign of his love for us and this tangible way of taking it together. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So I'm so grateful for that. This week, I was having coffee with a friend who uh, his job requires him to do some acting on screen. Now, the last time that I played a role on stage was back in grade six in my elementary school's production of the musical Clowns. And I actually had the role of the lead clown. And some of you are thinking, not much has changed since then. (laughs) But I can remember working really hard at memorizing my lines and, and practicing my songs and perfecting my costume because the last thing that I wanted to do was disappoint all those people who were coming to watch the show. And if I was going to be honest, I would tell you I also had dreams of dazzling them with my performance. Now, desiring to give a convincing performance that's admired by audiences is totally appropriate for stage plays and productions. But, you know, people can put on similar kinds of acts in other areas of our lives. Whether it's at work or school, with family or even friends, we can be tempted to perform in certain ways to give others the impression that we are something or someone other than who we really are. And the arena of faith is no exception. It can be one of these places susceptible to our play acting as well. However, in today's passage, we see that God, he is not impressed by our theatrics. Nor is he dazzled by our performances. Rather, what God desires is authentic faith instead of a show. These are the words of Jesus found in Matthew 6. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, Do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray... 
Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that... It will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in this morning's passage, Jesus is once again addressing the issue of righteousness. He says, be careful. Don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Now, hopefully by this time, if you've been following along in our series, you will know that when we talk about righteousness, that according to scripture, it has everything to do with being in right relationship. Being in a right relationship with God, with others, with ourselves, and the creation. And in this passage, Jesus narrows in on how we put our righteousness into action, specifically those actions that have to do with practicing our faith. He tells us about three things that, have, that, that are these actions. Giving money, fasting, and prayer. And just like Jesus' previous instructions in the Sermon on the Mount, his main concern here has to do with our hearts. What is going on inside of us while we are practicing our faith? What we are thinking about, what we are feeling when we are giving our money, when we're praying. Because when it comes to our acts of faith, our motives matter. And because motives matter a great deal, Jesus wants his followers to take them seriously. Because the consequences for practicing our our faith with the wrong motives are serious. In verse 1, he addresses the false motive for practicing religious deeds and activities that probably tempts us the most. Doing things in order to be seen by others. It's practicing our faith with an eye for the audience. Doing it so that we can get recognition or praise. Wow, did you hear how much they gave to that project? It's amazing. Or she prays so powerfully, right? Now Jesus is not saying it is bad or wrong if other people notice our acts of faith. He assumes that much of our worship and Christian practice will be done in the presence of others. The problem is when we do public acts of faith in order to get noticed by others. Again, in verse 1, he says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. His emphasis is on the motives. Now, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So in chapter 5, he's saying, let your light shine before others. And here in chapter 6, he's saying, do it in the secret place. Which one is it, Jesus? Well, following Christ needs to encompass our entire lives, both the private and the public sphere. So if we're following him faithfully, it will be inevitable that people will notice. Our actions should stand out. They will be like light in a dark room. They will be countercultural. But notice what Jesus says about motivation in chapter 516. That you let your light shine, that others will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So whether it's good deeds done in public or in our own private devotion, Jesus says both should be done with the same motivation, to glorify God, to show love for our Heavenly Father, and to honor Him alone. However, having spent a lifetime on earth, Jesus, He knows how easy it is for us humans to fall into the trap of performing for others rather than for God alone. And he has seen how people have twisted activities reserved for honoring God and used them for building up their own status. In this passage, he mentions these three acts of faith, and he tells his followers not to practice them like the hypocrites do. Now, most likely, the hypocrites that Jesus is referring to here are the scribes and the Pharisees that he has been refuting throughout much of the Sermon on the Mount. These are the religious leaders who were supposed to be setting an example. They are, were the ones who were supposed to be teaching the people how to live out their faith with integrity so that their lives would honor the God that they worshipped. However, as it says in John 12, many of them loved human praise more than they loved God. Now, by calling them hypocrites, this meant more than just they said one thing but did another. In Greek, the word for hypocrite is the word for an actor or stage player. Eventually, it also came to be applied to anybody who treated the world like a stage. Rather than being genuine, they put on a performance. And religious hypocrisy, it's the worst kind of acting. Rather than honoring God and blessing other people, religious hypocrisy sets out to deceive others. It's motivated by self-centeredness and vanity, and it dishonors God. And when it is found out, religious hypocrisy not only brings down the hypocrite, but worse than that, it defames God. And often it leads people away from him because they associate God with the hypocrite. And so Jesus says this kind of behavior, it has no place in our lives. God wants authentic faith, not a show. So in order to help us avoid this performance trap that we can easily fall into, Jesus gives specific instructions on how his disciples can have integrity in their worship so that our outward appearance can match the inward reality. And the first thing he addresses is giving money. He criticizes the Pharisees for announcing the giving with trumpets. Now, whether they actually had literal trumpets that they were announcing this, or maybe this is just a figure of speech, um, Jesus is recognizing here that we are, often we are often tempted to toot our own horns when it comes to anything with money. 
We're tempted to brag about it. But rather than announce it, Jesus says, when it comes to money, we should be so discreet that we've even hidden it from ourselves. Our left hand doesn't know what our right hand is doing. Now, for some people here this morning, especially those who are more financially astute, having no account for how we use our money is a nightmare. But Jesus isn't advising us to be careless with our money. Rather, what he's doing is he's giving us the remedy for the temptation to boast about our generosity. So this isn't a mandate to be foolish with our finances or not collect a donation receipt for your taxes. Rather, Jesus is saying that Christian giving, it should be marked by self-forgetfulness rather than self-congratulation. By keeping our giving secret from ourselves as well as from others, we then deal the knockout blow to any temptation to be proud or arrogant. Now, the next thing that Jesus moves on to is prayer. He criticizes both the location and the way that hypocrites pray. First, they do it in public places to be seen by others, so in order to have an audience. Instead, Jesus instructs his followers not to seek spectators, but rather an audience of one, just God alone. This doesn't mean that Jesus is against public prayer or group prayer, but he is against prayer becoming a performance. That's what the hypocrites loved. They loved the performance, not prayer itself, not God who was the object of their prayer, but they loved the public opportunity to parade themselves. And then Jesus takes the criticism to the pagans. These were those who worshipped foreign gods, and he criticizes them for the way that they prayed. We know from ancient writings that the pagans used multiple formulas in their prayers using long, complicated, magical words that they repeated over and over and over again in order to try and persuade their god or goddess in their favor. Jesus tells his followers, not only do we not have to do that, but that uh, not only not to do that, but we don't have to do it. Don't do it, and you don't have to. The pagans pray like that in order to try and convince their God to hear their prayer. But our God, Jesus says, is our Father, a good Father who loves you, and he knows what you need even before you do, long before you ever ask him. He doesn't need to be persuaded or convinced to hear your prayers but rather like a good dad, he is there waiting to listen to what his children have to say to him. So rather than our prayers being a performance in order to garner praise from people or favor from God, Jesus then gives his followers an example of how they should pray. And this example is the prayer that we have come to refer to as the Lord's Prayer. Now, we're not going to go into the Lord's Prayer into great detail this morning. However, it is wonderful and a great example of how we should pray. It honors God. It prays for his kingdom to come, to be done on the earth. It prays for ourselves and our own needs and others, and it asks for forgiveness. But Jesus gave us this prayer as a framework, and unfortunately, we can even turn this beautiful prayer into a magic formula or babbling in just the same way that the pagans did. So when I was in grade two, 
I had a teacher who was like the last holdout from a previous generation. And I don't know, like my brothers didn't go through this, but I had to stand up every morning beside my desk and I had to say the Lord's Prayer. And this was confusing for me. Because in Sunday school, I was taught that this was a prayer that Jesus gave to his followers to show them how to pray. And here I am, standing surrounded by my classmates and my best friend, Jassy Parmar, who is Sikh, and he's praying the same prayer I am. Right? But this wasn't coming before the Lord genuinely to speak to him. This was going through the motions. We were just doing what our teacher expected from us. And so it was a performance. And for many in the class, it was just babbling. But God wants us to come to him with honest prayers, without any pretense. If you open the Psalms and you take a look at the prayers that the people, God's people cried out in there, you will see every emotion. There is joy, sadness, anger, They're timeless because they're real. The Psalms are authentic. There's a movie I saw a number of years ago with this great scene in it. The movie's called The Apostle, starring Robert Duvall. And he plays the role of this preacher named Sonny. And Sonny is angry with God because he has lost not only his church, but his wife to his associate pastor. And in this one scene, he's up in the bedroom and he is just, he's yelling to God because he just doesn't understand why this has all happened to him. And the neighbors wake up and they phone over and Sonny's elderly mother, she answers the phone and they're like, what is going on there? And she tells the neighbors that her son is praying. And then she says this great line. She says, sometimes he talks to the Lord and sometimes he yells at the Lord and tonight he just happens to be yelling at him. And yeah, and she laughs too and she hangs up. Now, I love that scene because it's authentic. For many of us here, we might think, oh, that's, that's too raw or it's too out of place to, to yell at the Lord. And, and I understand that. But real is good. And faking is not. And finally, in this passage, Jesus addresses fasting. Fasting is abstaining from food for a period of time. And the purpose of fasting throughout the scriptures was to humble yourself before God. And often fasting was done in conjunction with confessing sin or seeking God's wisdom for making decisions. And fasting is all about self-denial and self-discipline. But the hypocrites, they would alter their appearance so that other people would know that they were fasting. They used it as an opportunity to advertise how devout they were in order to gain a reputation. The total opposite of fasting's intended purpose, which is all about denying and humbling oneself. So Jesus instructs his followers to not let anybody know when you were doing it. Don't draw attention to yourself. Just go about your day like you normally would. So in each of these circumstances, these instances, whether it's giving money, prayer, or fasting, Jesus instructs his followers to do their acts of faith in secret in order to eliminate any temptation for us to be motivated by the praise 
and admiration of other people. Because as soon as we go there, it's no longer genuine faith. It's no longer an activity done out of love for God. Rather, it's simply an act to garner the applause of other people. And Jesus wants authentic faith and not a show. For me, I have to say, his message here, man, it just like hits dead center. It stings a little. Because myself, like I think most of us, have at times been guilty of this. Perhaps you have too. Maybe you flourished a prayer with a little extra biblical language because you kind of want other people to know your biblical repertoire. Or maybe you've raised your hands a little extra high in worship so other people can see how you're really connecting with God. Or perhaps you've never done anything along those lines before, but therein lies the problem, right? Maybe you have actually felt the Spirit nudge you to praise God with your whole body or to offer up a prayer in public, but instead you have chosen to restrain yourself in worship because you care far more about what the people around you think than about being obedient or taking a risk and being vulnerable in worshiping God. We can put a mask on when other people come up to us and ask us, how are things going in our faith? And we can present this rosy picture and avoid being vulnerable because we're too afraid of what they might think or say if they knew the truth of what I'm going through or how I'm struggling. It's not just people who draw attention to themselves who can be hypocrites or actors, but anytime you or I choose to be insincere in our faith, then we're out of line. Whether we're trying to impress people in order to garner applause, or if we repress what we're doing out of fear. Either way. You know, as a pastor, I recognize that this message directly challenges me. Danny and I were texting this week about that, about how as I'm preparing a sermon and she's preparing to lead us in worship, it's like God wants authentic authenticity and not a show and we recognize that there is this hits home like look at me now I'm on a stage most weeks I'm up here and I get the opportunity to explain God's word to us and hopefully to motivate and encourage us to live according to what it says you know and there's this huge temptation to put on a performance, to come across as someone other than who I really am, to be super spiritual or intellectual or, or whatever, to try to impress you. I can be inclined to say things that I hope you'll like to hear rather than maybe some of the biblical truths that might sting a little. I can be tempted to try to entertain in order to keep your attention, to hopefully hear you say, good job, or maybe, you know, garner a reputation as a good preacher. But if any of this is about making a name for myself rather than making his name known, or getting a little glory for myself rather than doing it for his glory, then Jesus says that I've already received my reward. And that this reward is nothing compared to the reward that God has for those whose faithfulness flows out of a genuine love for him. In the next passage, just following up on this, Pastor Reese is going to preach on this next week. 
Jesus begins to talk about what the reward for, for authentic faith looks like. And he says it's eternal. It's not temporary. He says that it cannot be stolen or taken away from us because that reward, it is secure because it is found in God. In another place, Jesus says that the reward includes praise from the only one whose approval we should seek, our Heavenly Father, who we hope one day will say to each one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. That's the reward, right? The reward for authentic faith that trusts in Jesus is sharing in his happiness for all of eternity. It's more than we could ever hope or imagine. And so our prayers to God should also include asking him to help us rid ourselves of any hypocrisy and the courage to live genuinely faithful lives for him. But there's one other thing that Jesus addresses in this passage that I would be remiss if I didn't comment on. In verse 14, he begins, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you your sins. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I have to say that these are a couple of really frightening sentences. And they seem a little bit out of place in the middle of this passage. But I think it's actually really congruent with the rest of what Jesus is saying here, all about our faith being authentic, about us having genuine faith. You see, it's very easy for us to look the part of gracious and merciful people on the outside and pretend all of our relationships are all good, while on the inside we continue to harbor grudges and resentments against other people. If we tell them that we forgive them and yet we continue to hold on to our, the, the debt that we believe they owe us, even if it's just in our hearts and minds, then we are no better than that unmerciful servant that Jesus tells a parable about later on in Matthew 18. In that story, Jesus tells um, there is a servant who owes this king a lifetime worth of debt that he cannot repay. And he's called into the king's court and he's called to give an account for what he owes. But he throws himself down on the mercy of the court and he begs the king, please forgive me my debt. There's no way I can pay this back. And the king relents and he wipes his debt clean. And so he, he's free to go without any debt. But as soon as he leaves the king, he finds a fellow servant who owes him just a few bucks and he demands that he gets repaid right away. And that servant doesn't have the money and so his, the the servant who was forgiven all of his debt, he has the guy locked up. And when the king hears about this, he cannot believe it. He says, after everything I forgave you and you're going to treat your fellow servant like that? See, friends, God has rewarded our faith in him with incredible mercy and forgiveness that we can never pay back, nor does he ever expect us to. But he does expect us to be changed by his kindness. 
to be transformed into grateful people who will show the same mercy to others because of the mercy that has been shown to us. And this is a sign of authentic faith. You know, one time uh, I had this peach. It was a beautiful looking piece of fruit. And I just sank right into it. And only then did I realize it only looked good on the outside. It was completely rotten through. It was so bad that even the pit, which is usually hard, was mush. And I have to say that that experience put me off peaches for a while. However, I did not give up on them altogether. Today, I will still partake in a peach. And today's passage, Jesus says that our religious devotion can be a lot like that peach. It can look really good from the outside, but inside it can be rotten to the core. And this is a warning about our motivation, even when we see that in other people. The hypocrisy can really turn us off these things. But it shouldn't put us off these things altogether. Just because we've seen it done poorly once, or maybe we've done it poorly ourselves, doesn't mean we shouldn't pick it up and try it again. Notice what Jesus says about each of these religious practices, giving your money, prayer, and fasting. He doesn't say, if you do these things, do them like this. No, he says, when you do them, and so when you do them, Jesus is expecting his followers will do these things. Giving money to the poor, praying, fasting, these are all good things. Yes, they can be manipulated, used for bad purposes, but there is a place for them in our lives when we follow Christ. When we do them with the right motivation, not only do they honor God, but they encourage other people, and they even bless us. So this week, I think our takeaway is to practice our faith with authenticity and do it with Do it sincerely and without fanfare or drawing attention to ourselves. And I think Jesus gives us four ways that we can do this from this passage. The first is with our money. Whether that's giving financially to the church or giving uh, directly to impoverished people or other charities, Jesus expects his followers to give their money. Now I know talking about money, it's not a very popular thing to do. But it's a part of our worship. It shows that we trust God with a very important part of our lives, our security. By giving money, it helps our church to minister to other people, telling them about Jesus and the hope that we have in him. And giving our money is a very practical way, the Bible says, that we can honor God. And so if you're a disciple, you're called to give, whether that's to the poor or to whatever church family that you call your home. But Jesus says, When it comes to doing it, just don't make a show of it. Next, prayer. Prayer can be hard. I know I have found prayer very difficult for some seasons in my life. Some of us may have no idea where to start, but I think the key is to be honest with God and use your own words. Even if you start like, Lord, this is awkward. Please help me. I've had many prayers that have kind of started like that. But we can also use other things as our framework. This morning we talked about the Lord's Prayer or the Psalms. These are great places for us to go to give us guidance in our own prayers. Another framework I've used is the acronym ACTS. 
which stands for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Supplication is where we um, make requests for ourselves or for others. And this has been a useful tool for me over the years and helps, helped guide me through a practice that is often very mysterious. And that's prayer. And the final thing that we might want to try here is fasting by skipping. Maybe we want to, or fasting is something that we often don't talk about, actually, whether here or many Christians or churches have altogether uh, neglected fasting. But Jesus assumes that his followers will fast, and there is actually a deep connection with what we do with our physical bodies and our spiritual devotion. And so maybe you want to try fasting this week. Maybe you want to just skip a lunch, and you want to take the opportunity instead of uh, using it as you normally would to eat, but maybe you want to take that opportunity and go for a prayer walk or something like that. The idea is to recognize that our hunger for God is greater than our dependence on food. So I would just encourage you, give it a try. Just don't make a big deal of it. And if you're thinking about, well, I want to prepare for fasting, you know, something that you can prepare for is on February 22nd. That's the beginning of Lent. And Lent is the season when Christians prepare themselves for Easter. And they often fast during that season from particular things, whether that's coffee or alcohol or even things like television or social media. Perhaps you want to begin to think now of something that you would like to fast from during Lent. But the fourth and final thing that Jesus invites you and I to demonstrate authentic faith in is by forgiving others. Forgiveness can be hard. Forgiveness is most often a process, not a one-time thing. We might have told someone that we forgive them, but we have to keep working at it in our own hearts. But I think God loves that. I think he encourages us to keep at it. And I believe that he will honor your efforts and that he will help you to forgive others just as he has forgiven us. Would you stand with me and pray and invite the worship team? Jesus, we thank you for these words. And we thank you how, even though they might be difficult to hear, where else are we going to go but to you? You are the one who has the words of life. Thank you, God, that you are so faithful and trustworthy. We pray that you would just help us to continue just to root out any of the things that might be coming in between our relationship with you or others Pray that you would just continue to help us to work on forgiveness in our own hearts, maybe even forgiving ourselves for things we've done or forgiving someone close to us. Just pray, Lord, that you would go with us for the rest of this day, knowing that we are not alone in this, that your spirit walks alongside of us, and that we are a part of a family of faith who will help love and encourage us to walk in your ways. We love you so much and pray these things in your name. Amen.